This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today, Friday edition of the podcast uh third show of the week we're getting almost to in-season mode we're gonna have four five six podcasts per week uh yesterday we talked a little bit about the offense and just kind of the position groups and kind of the the storylines emerging out of fall camp we're not going to do the same for the defense but first uh go to duckterritory.com 75 percent off membership right now look we have seen insane growth on this podcast we have seen uh, we go to away games. I guarantee it. All three of us will be walking to the stadium at Texas Tech. And at some point on that trip, we'll see someone that knows us and says they listen to the podcast. That's an unbelievable feeling to of pride and accomplishment to, to have that happen. We think it's awesome. Um, our, our podcast has grown tremendously beyond anything I think we all envisioned it to become. Uh, and the best way to support this podcast, because look, we do this during the season four, five, six times a week. The best way to support it, it's free, is go to duckterritory.com. Read the site, visit the site. And right now, you can get on as a member for less than $27 for an entire year. 75% off its annual membership rate. Highly encourage you guys to do that. That's the most impactful way to support this podcast, to continue it being free and to allow us to do this at the frequency that we do it at. All right. Defense. We did this yesterday. Offense. Now it's defense. This is one, guys, where even with we're going to start with the defensive line. Even with this group, we know a lot of the players. We know a lot of the players where, where they fit positional wise, but where they fit in the order of the depth chart. Who plays where at what depth chart? Like the, the it's up in the air. We 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 know some of the answers. We don't know some of the answers. There's a lot at, at play here. And there's a lot of moving parts with the entire defense. And it, there's kind of some you know moving parts with the defensive line. It, it may be the secondary guys. It may not be the, the starters. But, like, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Yeah, I, I think this defensive line has some moving pieces. I think a lot of it's probably cemented at this point during the fall camp. Um, I think that what what the moving pieces are for this defensive line are the packages that they can put out there onto the field. Um, last year, you kind of look at Oregon's defensive line. Obviously, they have it was 16 or 18 sacks, like their lowest since like the 1970s. Like just a an abysmal attempt at rushing the passer outside of DJ Johnson and Brandon Dorless. Um, those guys, you know, DJ Johnson is gone; he's off to the NFL. But Brandon Dorless comes back. Uh, they add Jordan Birch and a, a talented edge rusher out of South Carolina, former five-star recruit. Uh, they add back Popo Amavai, a guy who missed the entire season last year with a Liz Franck injury in his foot. Um, he's healthy. He's performed well at fall camp. Uh, we've asked plenty of people about him, and they've all kind of gushed about his abilities to get to the pass rusher while also be such a massive human being that he's good in the run game. 
Um, so I think that that's probably the biggest moving part about this defensive line is that they have guys where if there's a rushing down, if there's a running down, excuse me, they have guys that they can move in and package together like a Taki Taimani, like a Keon Ware Hudson, like a Popo Amabai. Maybe you take Jordan Birch off the field and you put Dorless in because he's more familiar with playing like a three-eye technique down in the middle of the defensive line. Or if there's a passing scenario, maybe you let loose. Maybe you move Brandon Dorless to the inside, line him up with Popo Amabai, and then you put Jordan Birch on one side of the defensive line, and then you put Mateo Uyunglele, a five-star or excuse me, four-star recruit out of California. He was a five-star at one point, just you know, went down in all the ratings and stuff like that. But throw him on the other side of the of the defensive line. Suddenly, your pass rush looks a lot more formidable than it did last year, where you are relying on guys like Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley to go rush the passers, which isn't their forte. Um, you know, they got home a couple times, but Popo Amavai is a guy who can get to the quarterback. Uh, Brandon Doris on the inside is a nightmare for an opposing guard. And Jordan Birch and Mateo Uyunglele are two probably of the better athletes on the team. And their ability to rush the passer from the edge side um, is going to be night and day difference when it was just DJ Johnson. Suddenly, offensive linemen now have legitimately four down defensive linemen to worry about in a pass rush scenario. And this is you know, not including whatever simulated pressure Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy have dialed up or whatever blitzes are coming in. So um, this defensive line, I think, honestly, is nine to ten deep. And that's including like a couple true freshmen and really just one in Mateo and Angelale. Maybe Blake Purchase gets in there. But, you know, that's the other thing is that, um, you know, barring an injury to somebody, Oregon went out and got six defensive linemen in this past class. Um, I think. Almost all of them were four-star recruits. You, know, you guys have guys like Tatum Tuioti who's been injured and has missed some of uh, fall practice so far this year, but Terrence Green, Ashton Porter as an edge rusher, Blake Purchase, who I mentioned, um, Mikhail Gardner, Amari Washington. I'm missing a guy off the top of my head right now. Tavita Pomey. Tavita Pomey. Tavita Pome. Um, those are guys. Those are guys who – Theoretically, in a pinch, could impact this defensive line. Um, probably won't just because of the pure depth that they have. But you know, you look at it. You know, you know how like a great white shark, how all sharks have like teeth, then they lose them, and they just have a line of teeth coming in behind them, similar to a human, mm. I guess, but it's more obvious in a shark. Um, that's mm. kind of what this Oregon defensive line is building towards because they're going to lose guys this year. They're going to lose them to the draft. They're going to lose them to graduation. That's what happens when you go through four or five or six or seven years for Popo at college. You graduate eventually, I hope. Um, but they got guys. They got re reinforcements. They got guys coming up. So I really like this defensive line. I've been high on them. Um, I think it'll be a night and day difference, and that's going to be potentially uh, the difference maker from last year's defense, the inability to cover in, in passing downs to this year's defense where teams are just not going to have as much time to get the ball out. Strong metaphor game from Jared to start the pod. Big fan. Um, Thank you. So like to me, I look at the defensive line. I go, the baseline here is I think they're going to be good against the run. They were last year. I know the Oregon state game is in everybody's mind. It should be. That was, I don't even know how to explain that. It was brutal. They still finish. I think 31st nationally against the run. And if you, Leading into that Oregon State game, which does count for the stats, they were, I think, right around 20th, 20, 20, top 23, I think, 20th to 23rd, somewhere in that range. I don't mm -hmm. remember off the top of my head. So I, I think the baseline is they'll be good there. A lot of the personnel is back from their 
Um, we haven't mentioned Casey's Rod Casey Rogers name a lot, but that's a guy I'm really high on who I know is very successful, especially on rundowns. He's supposedly had a great off season in the weight room. Um, you know, we think back to a year ago, he was coming off an injury was kind of, Tosh was talking about this a couple of days ago, was kind of reworking his body, kind of getting to a point where he was just able to play. Now he's in a spot where he's had an all off season to, to get his body where he can really thrive out there. So I think that's a, another name to, to toss out there. And, and to the question and a lot of what Jared did a good job of laying out why we, we think there's optimism for improvement is, is that, you know, kind of getting after the passer, which was just objectively not good enough last year. Um, They've got a couple of players who I just think are, are are physically gifted in ways that they didn't have with the exception of DJ and Brandon last year. I think Mateo and Jordan in particular just body. I mean, Jordan Birch physically is just one of those guys, man. You know, I, we, I talked yeah. about Terrence Green. That's one of the guys you'd want coming off off the bus just in terms of physically imposing guys. Jordan Birch is, is a guy like that. Man. He comes off the bus. Mm -hmm. You see him, you go, that's a guy we're going to have to contend with for for four quarters. Um, so I, I think they, there's. Sorry, I was going to, I was going to say they haven't got a, had a guy physically like Jordan Birch in a while. Like yeah. Even KT was like thinner. He was more yeah. of like just a pure athlete, but it's probably been since like the Eric Armstead or DeForest Buckner days where they've had a guy that tall and that big. He's listed at six six two ninety for for reference. A, and a guy who was going to contribute because they've had guys like a Jason yeah. Jones who everybody was fired up about, but really never Big saw. Boy. You're right, and yeah. and yeah, KT was imposing in, in a different way. So I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what this looks like. I'm also pretty optimistic. Again, I think they're going to be good against the run. Uh, they were good against the run last year. Um, I think the strides that they need to take are obviously on pass downs, and that's across the board. It's not just this unit. They everybody needs to play better, especially on third down. We know. I think they were 123rd in the country out of 131 teams on third down defense last year. They were, uh, yeah. That won't cut it. And a lot of that no. starts here with these guys. So um, I'm encouraged. I, I think, to Jared's point, some of it is the, at least kind of the, the top core is solidified. But I'll be interested to see, like, who is the, you know, the guy this year who really kind of emerges that isn't playing a lot early but ends up being a guy late. Because as we talked about with offensive line and other positions, like, you're going to expect to see a guy here, a guy there, miss some time. Like, who are those secondary guys? And the good news is, like, if it's just one or two guys, like Keon Ware Hudson has been out of most of camp, you can still put cobble together a, a really good group without having to mm -hmm. you know, dive into those true freshmen. But aside from Mateo, I think you are going to have to have at least one or two of those guys be ready to contribute. And I'll be just curious to see which one of those guys it is because I don't know if we have a very clear uh, sense of that just yet. Linebacker. Let's shift here to, to the linebacker group. Um, one in which, like, there's a lot of confidence that D-line is going to be good. And I think a lot of it's justified. Jerry went through why. Um, linebacker group, we think they're going to be good. But there's probably less proof or evidence to back that theory up. Because they were terrible last year as a unit. They struggled. They've, saw, they've seen an overhaul of the roster. Noah Sewell went pro. Justin Flo transferred. Uh, Keith Brown transferred. That's three of their four most experienced guys that they had last season. Jeffrey Bossa being the fourth. He's probably the second most experienced guy that played last year behind Sewell. And you could maybe argue he's as experienced as Sewell was um, during his career. They've added Justin Jacobs. Um They've added a couple other transfers. They've added a couple high school guys. Um, Devin Jackson has come off his red shirt. 
Um, there's optimism. There's hope that this group is better, but this is one where we we don't truly know if they will be until the lights are turned on, the the, the whistle is blown, mm-hmm. and football is played, and we're able to watch and see what happens. Um, I don't know what to think of this group. Like, could they be middle of the road, and is that good for Oregon? Could they be a better unit in the Pac-12? Or is that too high of an expectation? Or is it going to be much the same like last year? I don't know. Yeah, no, there's a fair amount of question marks and deservedly so for the reasons you just laid out, Matt. Like last year, uh, the linebacking group was just bad. Um, I do think that they were really caught in an interesting era of Pac-12 football where you know a lot of teams started to move towards a spread offense, a run and gun, an air raid you know, kind of all at the same time. And Oregon's uh, linebackers, even though they had the deserved hype as a high school recruit, like in Flo and Noah Sewell, were um, kind of resembled more of a traditional Mike linebacker from like the 85 Bears or like the 1990s, where they're big boys, they can run downhill and hit you hard at the line of scrimmage. But um, with how Washington moved the ball, with how uh, USC has moved the ball, with how Washington State moved the ball, I think that was a clear-cut example of uh, how an offense can can – kind of take advantage of those guys who can't move east to west. And so what Oregon has done at the linebacker room uh, with their returners and their incoming guys is get people who can move east to west, who can get out into coverage, who can also come downhill and hit you at the line of line of scrimmage. And, you know, Jeffrey Bossa had a very tough time last year. Um, I think he was, you know, he was the money linebacker. He was the guy who was dropping into coverage. Um, and he didn't fare well there. Uh, no, none of Oregon's defense fa- fared well in the coverage, except for you know Brian Addison and Christian Gonzalez. And Gonzalez was a first-round pick, and Addison is back. We'll talk about him later. But um, with Bossa, he added 20 pounds of muscle, which was m- much necessary. Um, he you know had countless examples of kind of being bowled over in the middle of a middle of a run, middle of a passing play, like by an offensive lineman. Um, adding weight will definitely help him. We'll see how it does in, in the pass coverage department. But, you know, that kind of falls in line with what the defensive line can do. If they can get to the quarterback, then there's just going to be less time for them to be in coverage. So it all kind of all kind of correlates here. But, you know, they added Jamal Hill as well. The guy, well, they added, quote unquote, moved down from safety to linebacker, added 20 pounds. I think everybody in this room is sitting around that 230 range. Justin Jacobs is 10 pounds more heavier. Uh, that's a good way how to describe it. Um, but he's a guy, uh, Jamal Hill is, you know, he's, he's a safety. So he has that same, you know, similarities to Jeffrey Boston knowing how to cover guys. The only difference between the two is that Jamal Hill played safety at the collegiate level. Jeffrey Bossa was thrown in at linebacker at his freshman year. He didn't really play safety at all. Um, so I think that those two guys can be a benefit to this room. I think Jacobs can as well. He's kind of a jack of all trades. He'll be a traditional Mac linebacker in this group. Um, someone who can come down the line of scrimmage since he's six foot four, 240 pounds. Someone who at Iowa, when he was fully healthy, showed that he can go out and pass coverage. Um, we'll see. He hasn't been practicing the last couple days, uh, last three or four times we've gone out there. Yeah. Uh, hasn't been practicing. He's been kind of warming up to the side, um, not in cleats. So that's something to keep an eye on, especially with the first game coming up here in a little over a week. And then lastly, Connor Soley and Devin Jackson. Soley, Arizona State transfer guy who's added weight as well, sitting around that 227, 230 range. Um, 
kind of a hybrid safety linebacker that Oregon has kind of gone to as their traditional mold now at the linebacker position. So, um, and then Devin Jackson is kind of the, the question mark. Um, he made Bruce Feldman of the athletics freaks list. I think he was like 13th or 26th. Um, he's a borderline freak. Uh, he's a tremendous track guy. Uh, he hit 23 miles an hour on uh, just a sprint. Uh, it just depends if he can play football. We only saw him play nine snaps at linebacker last year. I think he had like 42 or 41 snaps in the special, uh, special teams punt coverage. We'll see. Uh, he was encouraging during the spring game. He had like a running sideline tackle against Noah Whittington uh, in the open field that just made me instantly fall in love with him. So he's my guy. I hope he does well because I think his skill set is perfect for a new age modern day linebacker, a guy who can run east to west and north to south. But we'll see. There's a lot of question marks still in this linebacker room. Uh, To Matt's question about kind of what to expect, if they're bad, they're bad for very different reasons. This room does not resemble from an athletic perspective last year's room really at all. I mean, the only carryover is Jeff Bossa, who's now 20 pounds bigger. So that's like mm-hmm. almost, I mean, I, I look at him and I'm trying to be much more optimistic about what I expect from him. I think a year ago, we talked about it already on this podcast. He struggled in certain areas. The added weight should help. Um, collectively, everybody, to Jared's point, is, is about 230 besides Jacobs. And they're, to a man, they're very explosive athletes. Devin Jackson, I think, being the most explosive, but Jamal and, and Jeff and I haven't seen enough of Jerry Mixon, but all those guys are, are are guys that you know can put a foot down and go. I mean, converting several guys from defensive back speaks to that. Um, I'll, I'll be really curious to see um, what the deal is with Justin, right? Justin, I should say, right now. Um, we kind of talked about this a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He's been warming up to the side. Sometimes he hasn't been at practice. Is this a load management kind of approach here if we're just going to be really careful with the injury or has there been something that's taken place that's been kind of a setback because he in spring at least he was a little bit further along it felt like at times in terms of wearing cleats at least at practice um i'll be curious to see what that looks like right i mean he's a player mm-hmm. that i think you jared you haven't shared your your starting prediction but i imagine it's it's him and jeff right would be your your starting mike and yeah Matt. those yeah those would be the the mac and money mac and of uh boss and money and uh J- jacobs and mac so is justin gonna be there if not who i guess i'm curious who would you have filling in if justin's not starting like it, it's probably a little more difficult if Justin isn't, I'd go with uh, Jamal Hill. I think that Jamal is a big enough guy, and you know he's shown his hitting prowess as a secondary member to be that Mac linebacker. Um, it'll just be it'll be interesting because you know he's only played linebacker during the spring game, and you're throwing him out there in week one, obviously against Portland State, so you know he'll get his sea legs on him. But then you got to go to Texas Tech, like we talked about uh, yesterday in the offensive podcast. So. Uh, I think that's the that's would be my prediction. Um, I think you'd see a lot of uh, Connor Soley and Devin Jackson as well if Jacobs can't go. Yeah, that's, I, that was what I expected you'd say, and and I think I mean I'm pretty excited to see what this looks like. Um, mm-hmm. I'm optimistic about it, but to, to, I think Matt's exactly right. Like we haven't seen really. It's very similar to the offensive line where there's a lot of pieces I'm excited by, but we haven't seen these guys work together, and we really haven't seen. Yeah. Jeff has played this position at Oregon. So while I think that this can be a unit that's much improved, like let's get through the Texas Tech game, probably through honestly to the bye week, and we'll have a much better assessment of where these guys are at because I think all the pieces are exciting. 
like I said earlier, if they're bad, it's bad for different reasons because just physically these guys look differently. They move differently than, than the group they had a year ago. This feels like the group that's probably got like the highest ceiling of improvement. Yeah. Like from, Maybe, a position, yeah. from a position unit compared to where they were last year. Like they might start off rough. I don't know. Maybe injuries factors in here a little bit if Jacobs can't go and Jamal Hill's adjustment to playing linebacker instead of nickelback safety, you know, is a little slower than you would hope. Um, but maybe, you know, halfway through the year, like to Eric's point, by the time we get to the bye, that things are starting to click and all of a sudden they're playing really good football again. Um, and this is one that like Jared talked about it with injuries. There's they've got more bodies than they did six months ago at this position, but injuries could also hamper things here. Like if if mm -hmm. Jacobs isn't available to go week one or the first part of the couple se weeks of the season, and then someone else goes down, then it gets really thin, and you don't have a lot of production um, at this position. Like you're you're already relying on two of your top six guys are freshmen or true freshmen, um, Devin Jackson and Jerry Mixon. Um, that you you basically hope that if they get on the field they're either greatly improved from what we were expecting them to be. And they just have to play or the more likely scenario, the score allows them to get on the field and, you know, to get those reps and start developing. You don't want to have to be developing Jerry Mixon while also playing at Texas tech like that. Mm -hmm. That would be a nightmare scenario. So injuries here could also factor in the depth, you know, the health of, of this unit. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we want to move to nickel? Do we, let's treat. I think we should treat nickel kind of as its own position. A because there's a lot of guys here at at this. Yeah. At this position, um, it's like so many people. <laughs> we we've learned that Taishim play Taishim Johnson is at nickel. We know Cole Martin is at nickel. Uh, we know Kamari Terrell has moved to nickel and has played that position quite a bit. We know Jalil Florence, when he's been in Eugene, is uh, playing nickel. Florence has missed the last couple of days of practice due to a personal emergency, according to Dan Lanning, but he should be back. He's on the team. Um, that's four. Nico Reed. Like Nico Reed yeah. has said he's playing yep. at the nickel position at times. Uh, that's the fifth guy. Colin Gill. And there's – I know yeah, there's Colin like – Colin Gill is a star. More, yep. but Colin, Colin Gill. Gill. Colin Gill. Colin Gill. Pleasure. Yes, we learned that uh, yesterday, Thursday or Wednesday, mm -hmm. from from Dan Lanning, uh, a true freshman. Like six guys are all at this position. One of them will play per down. There's no two star. You know, the defense doesn't employ two stars at one time. Um, and this one, I feel like we know who leads Taishim Johnson, but is that for well, sure? I don't know, Jared. Like. What's your here? I, uh, I don't know. Um, from all, all accounts purposes, like, yeah, if it were up to me, I would have Taishim Johnson as my starting star. Um, will Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy do that? I don't know. Like, Taishim has kind of gone around and, and kind of talked that he's played, you know, that they're doing the cross-training thing. We talked about this in, in for the offensive line on yesterday's podcast about, you know, cross-training and positional versatility and all that good stuff. 
Um, Taishima is a guy who's a part of that. He's played both, you know, high and low safety, meaning like free safety, boundary safety, and then star safety. So, you know, if, up, if it were up to me, you know, that, that would be my guy. Um, but Colt Martin was very good at star during the spring game. I think he opened a lot of people's eyes, including myself. I didn't really know what to expect from him in, uh, in college with a guy of his size and stature. Uh, especially when he was recruited as a cornerback. Um, I think Star could could fit him quite well. Like he's very similar similarly, excuse me, built as Taishim Johnson. Like these this could be a match position. Um Jaleel Florence was an interesting one. I never really expected him to be a star safety guy. I think he was just kind of a natural corner, at least looked the part physically. Uh, Nico Reed is like a carbon copy of Cole Martin and Taishim Johnson in terms of physique, just like shorter, stouter built guy. I, I don't know where he's going to play. If somebody is playing star, like maybe he's the backup, but I think what this allows Tosh and Dan to do is move around guys. Like if they think the best 11 guys on the field includes Taishim Johnson at boundary safety and Evan Williams at free safety and Cole Martin or Nico Reed at star safety. That's what they're going to do because we'll get to safeties in a second. I promise. But safety has a lot of question marks that I am I'm a little nervous and interested about what to see this defense is going to do with, but this is where it starts. Is that star. Um, I think there's a lot of guys who can play here and you, yeah, I don't know. You hear like Colin Gill had multiple interceptions at the last scrimmage, and you're like, well, this was literally the worst rated recruit in Oregon's class. And he's coming in here and he's making all these plays. So maybe they found a diamond in the rough and he can contribute. But like to your point, Matt, when you listed everybody, there's a lot of options here. And uh, my depth chart, which is going to come out uh, Friday later today, like, I don't know. I might have seven ores. I might take a Mario approach here or. I'll take a Dan Lanning and approach and I'll just list guys. I'm just like, Hey, all these guys could play here. We'll see. I, I think it's tough because I, we, you mentioned earlier, Devin Jackson is like, you're my guy on the team. Mm-hmm. Like, Taishim yeah. is probably the, my favorite, like new guy. Like I'm just really excited to watch pick. him play. He's, he's, and I heard so many great things, but it kind of seemed like Taishim and Evan were talking about playing together at boundary and, and field safety this week. And if that's the case, then that throws a little bit of a wrench in that nickel plan. And I, I mean, they were talking about it like they were developing chemistry, like this might be the, the pairing, like this might be what they where they end up at, which, hey, I'm I'm open to that. I think that sounds exciting. They're a little both a little smaller than maybe I would like. To, I mean, I loved Brian Addison's length at the back end, at least last year. Um but if like Taishim, let's just take him off the board in this hypothetical and we'll get to safety in a second and Jared can set me straight if he agrees or disagrees with that or, or what, what to make of those comments that were made this week. But if we do that, I, I think I am almost looking at it like we're taking this spot and we're using two different personnel kind of types here. We've got the more compact short guys, which is the Cole Martin and the, the Nico Reeds. And then we've got the and I guess I'll, I'll include Colin Gill in there just in terms of a body type being kind of more built for um, rundowns. Colin Gill, by the way, reminds yeah. me a little bit of Jamal Hill physically as a freshman. Yeah, he's, he's, a, comes yeah, he's in a big boy. As a big boy. Um, and then you've got Kamari and Jaleel, who I think would be awesome on just pure passing downs being kind of like slot corners. Like they would just match up really well in those situations. So um, and I think Kamari even said something like, I'm, I'm a part of a speed personnel package. So that sort of leads me to believe that 
that leads me to that. I think there is such thing. And if that's the case, that would make sense why Kamari and Jaleel would fit maybe into more of a package like that. So I think you're going to see a lot of rotations with those guys. And I also think like most of those guys could also play different positions too. Like you could see Nico Reed mm-hmm. one week playing primarily as a slot corner and you could see the next week he's your third corner on the outside um, or, or something. So, uh, and the same yeah. thing with Jaleel, the same thing with, with Colin Gill, maybe he's playing some safety. I think Colin Gill, we wrote a story on him, sound like he had a good scrimmage. I'm not expecting him to really, really be in this conversation just because it's like there's a ton of other names that I think clearly we think are a little bit more advanced. But I think that's kind of more where this goes, where Taishim, if he ends up being the deep guy, I think you're going to end up see them rotate with like maybe Cole Martin starts some games and maybe Kamari starts a game and, and Nico Reed starts a game. And they're kind of just rotating from a personnel perspective to find the right matchups, which it seems like they've been trying to do all fall is try to put guys in different spots. Do we think the development behind Taishin maybe allows them to say, hey, like we're pretty confident with what we have at nickel. Let's move our best nickel guy, Taishin. That's just me assuming that Taishin's the best nickel guy to safety and play him there because I feel like there's a lot of confidence in Nevin Williams, but then with Steve Stevens and Brian Addison, both guys are kind of like, yeah, they're good at this. They're solid at this, but they've also really struggled in this area. Right. And yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if Taishim maybe isn't like elite or as good at, at one specific thing as Brian Addison is at coverage or Steve Stevens is uh, and understanding the playbook and knowing, you know, directing everybody around, but there's less peaks and valleys with his game. And it's like, Hey, let's stabilize this position. Let's put Taishim there. And, you know, Steve and Brian will maybe come backups and give us good options there because we won't see a big drop off at nickel. I wonder if that's factoring in at all with, with safety. Cause maybe that's just the perfect segue into this group where like, yeah, they've got guys. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I was going to get into. Like with the safety group, Matt, like you laid it out perfectly. Like, Maybe uh, the, the the development of Cole Martin and Jaleel Florence and Nico Reed as star safeties. Like, you know, it's almost like when you play NCAA 14, for those of you who played it as a kid or as, as an adult, like, you know, I'm not judging here or anything like that. You know, I'm a frequent player. But when you change their positions, like if mm. Taishin Johnson yeah. were to change his position to a, a boundary safety and he goes from like an 88 overall to an 87 overall, but he's so significantly better than your second player who's a free safety or boundary safety. Yeah. And then when you move Taishi or when you move uh, Julio Florence from cornerback to star and he goes from an 82 to an 82, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, this can work. There's not too much of a drop off, but you get better at this other position. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been thinking about for this defense because of what Taishi has talked about with Evan, how they've kind of been forming a bond that they like that they're you know, look like they're starting together or playing together and developing that connection. Um, I think that's a legitimate option because I think that opposite safety from Evan Williams is honestly the weakest part of this defense, in my opinion, yeah. with Brian Addison and, and Steve Stevens. And I think that they're trying, I think Oregon's defense is trying to figure out how to get their best 11 guys on the field. And if Taishim Johnson, who I looked up, has played played 142 snaps at free safety last season for Ole Miss. Like, if he's capable of doing that and moving Evan to boundary or whatever the case may be, like then then they should do that. 
because that gives them the best 11 on the field. And maybe it's not Taishim and maybe it's Nico Reed. Maybe it's Cole Martin who moves up there. But maybe Taishim is just such a good Nichols or such a good star that he has to stay there and they move somebody else. But I think uh, like moving somebody who's better at that boundary safety or free or uh, free safety opposite of Evan Williams, wherever they decide to put him, is a necessity. I think that that's the weakest part on this defense. My, my read is more to your point, Jared, where in part because this seems like it's happened kind of midway through camp, they put those two back there. It might have been a situation where they're going, okay, Evan's awesome, but that other spot's really weak. Let's try Taishim out there. Oh, it's clicking. It looks really good. Let's stick with this. And then to Matt's point, the fact that you've got some players yep. you've been cross-training at nickel stepping up allows you to be more comfortable in, in doing that. Um, because mm -hmm. I thought coming into fall, I really thought it like Taishim was going to be the nickel. I think we both, Jared, now we talked about that. I think that was something we we know we we talked about and, and felt pretty comfortable with. Um, maybe they just got to a point where they said, okay, we need to really make sure we're better on the back end. We're not seeing it from other players. Let's try Taishim out there. And that pairing has worked seemingly pretty well from at least what those two players have, have talked about publicly the last week or so. My sleeper in this, which kind of has been for the last two years, Triquest Bridges. I knew we were going here. I knew it. Yeah, I like we, it. we have to go there. Um, I, I just my my concern with that is I I think that Bridges, even though some people don't like him as a corner, I do. I think he's the second best corner on the roster. Yeah, I think he's better than Manning. I think he's better than any of the true freshmen. And opposite of Kyrie Jackson, like I think he has to stay there. But boy, wouldn't it be cool if you could run a safety rotation of Evan Williams, Triquez Bridges, and Taishim Johnson at star? That'd be nice. But I like it too. Uh, I will say, Quez on Media Day, I think that's the only time he spoke all fall, said he yeah. wanted to. This was his preference, wanted to only play corner. He wanted to just focus yeah. on a position. So I'm guessing yeah. that's not going to be what plays out. But like you, Jared, we still are kind of on the same wavelength of. Triquez at safety just seems like it could solve some of these problems. But when we'll, when he we'll eventually see. goes off to the NFL, I, I think an NFL team would be very smart to put him at free safety. We'll see. Let's now go to corner because that's another perfect segue here. Uh, the cornerback with Triquez Bridges. Jared says he's the, the second best corner on this team. I'm assuming number one, Jared, is Kyrie. Kyrie yes. Jackson, the senior transfer from Alabama. Um, but then behind them, it's another group that's got a lot of options. Dante Manning, certainly experienced, the former five-star recruit, played in 13 games for Oregon last year, two starts. He played in 13 games in, 2013, in 2021. Uh, and then the 2020 season, he was able to get in on one because of a hamstring injury. Um, there's Nico Reed, who we've talked about at length at nickel, who's kind of playing both spots. Um Maybe more so nickel right now. I don't know. Um, but he's an option. A guy that played a lot of football at Colorado the last couple of years. We know the last time a Colorado transfer came to Oregon, people maybe was like, oh, terrible team. Is he really that good? Well, Gonzo became a first-round draft pick. Not saying Nico Reed's going to just duplicate that. But, you know, Coach, coach Meet, uh, Demetrius Martin, the cornerback's coach, clearly knows what he's doing because Reed was one of the few talented players Colorado had last year, brought him over, and has instantly made an impact. And then there's a bunch of freshmen. We already talked about Colin Gill, who is playing nickel, more safety than, than corner, but maybe maybe that that's something that he's also doing. Maybe he's cross-training. We don't, we don't see the whole practice, but 
He came in as a cornerback, technically. Uh, Dalen Austin and, and Roderick Pleasant, two high-profile guys. Austin flipped from LSU. Pleasant almost signed with USC and then went with Oregon. And then there's Solomon Davis as well, who's a freak athlete, really, really fast. Um, this group feels like they've got one or two really solid guys. I think Dante Manning's probably pushing to be that third. I don't know if we can say he's like – he's good, but he's not elite, but he's not terrible. He's like kind of in that weird tier where it's like you need to make that next jump, and maybe that's that year that, that he has to do that this year or he gets passed mm-hmm. up. I don't know. But the order of this group could change every week. It could. I still think Kyrie is one and Bridges is two. Uh, Manning, Manning, I have a really hard time giving up on, and I was, you know, leader of his his fan club last year. So I guess I'm still in charge, even though people have jumped off. But with a guy of his size and physicality and strength and athleticism, it's hard for me to give up on him. Just because if if it clicks one day, this is what I've said for the last two years. But if it clicks one day, it can it can be good, and that's why he was a five star, and that's why he was all these things. But will it click? I mean, it's looking worse and worse by the day just because he's he's been here for four years? Four this years, is four. yeah. This is, four. this is his fourth year, and he's made some impacts. Like, you know, he performed really well against Arizona last year in Arizona, but then he got the targeting penalty, and then he was kicked out. And then that kind of gave way for Jaleel Florence to come onto the scene and play in his his role, and, and he did pretty well. Um that's another guy, Florence, who could add his name back to the cornerback room, depending on how the star safety position, how that kind of sorts itself out. But uh, if you're Oregon, you need one of Bridges and Jackson to turn into a true number one cornerback. You need a guy. I'm not saying you need another Christian Gonzalez because that's obviously very difficult to find. Um, you need a guy who you can rely on. And when your Bridges last year and you were opposite of Gonzalez, um, I thought he was pretty good. I thought he started off slow. He got beat a couple of times against BYU, but um, I think with his length and his athleticism and his uh, like want to go and hit somebody, which you don't often see from a cornerback, I think that's a very nice feature. Um, and I'm very excited to see Kyrie Jackson line up for Oregon. Um, you know, I thought he gave everybody a taste of what he would be during the spring game. You know, coming down, laying the wood on people down on the line of scrimmage. Um, being physical with receivers, I think that's what Oregon needs out of their out of their best corner. Um, with his size and his length, um, I think it was a very worthwhile kind of um, well, it was a worthwhile addition. I was trying to think of, of something to say for Dan and company, but you know they took a gamble on him. He only you know he got you know, only a handful of appearances with Alabama, but um, seems like it could pay off this season. But behind them, there's a lot of a lot of question marks. Um, Davis and Austin and Roderick Pleasant, like three true freshmen. I'm not sure which one of them is ready to perform. I know we heard good things about Dale and Austin, who I think physically is the most uh, in line to perform next, just because he's six foot one, 205 pounds, while Roderick Pleasant is five foot nine, five foot ten. Um, just doesn't line up that well, other than his speed. And then Solomon Davis, uh, crafty athlete. I'm just not sure what he can and can't do. So. There's some question marks behind the first two or three guys, four guys, if you want to include Florence in there. But uh, I think having four guys at corner that you feel pretty confident in is good. Um, just with the passing attack of the Pac-12, like I mentioned in the linebacker category earlier, um, you're going to need them to be good in this conference, especially this year. 
a lot of agreement on my end here. Uh, like the length potentially of Quez and and Kyrie. Those are both mm-hmm. six foot three players. With I know Quez said last year he had the close to, or maybe it was a seven foot wingspan. Haven't asked Kyrie that question, but he looks very long as well. So that's two very long, athletic, six foot three guys you have on the outside together. That's that's what you're looking for, I think, in modern college football. And especially because, like you said, uh, both guys kind of have a nose for the football too. They're not afraid to go up there and and hit. So. Um, I really like those pairing. I think that's what it will. I, I I feel of the positions we've talked about in the secondary, at least. I guess aside from Evan Williams, these are the players I kind yeah. of feel most confident. These are their spots. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like there's necessarily a ton of opposition. Maybe we'll get to game one and be surprised, and Dante Manning it'll have clicked. I'm with you. It's hard to give up on him. It's for me like Ty Thompson's the offensive equivalent of just has all the physical tools, yeah. has the pedigree, mm-hmm. hasn't put it together. Sometimes it hasn't looked good. But it's really hard to say. I, I, I just don't. I mean, you don't want to quit on a kid who has all those physical tools. So, um, I, I'm hoping that Dante has a breakout year. But I, to your point, I feel like we've been saying that for three straight years that this is going to be the time, and yes. it just hasn't yeah. happened. So, um, I'll be curious to see what Nico's role ends up being too, um, because I feel like you know when they brought him in, it was like, oh, is is he going to push to start? You haven't really heard a lot of that, and the fact that he's kind of working more at nickel leads me to believe that that never really materialize like maybe some thought it might um but his role how he's used will be interesting and that yeah the freshman i seems like dalen austin is getting the most buzz but again we're hearing so little we're seeing so little it's really hard to to really know um to your point i i love the size of austin i think that fits a lot better and um Roderick Pleasant is going to have to be really, really good. And really, I mean, we know he's really fast. We know he's really explosive, but he's going to have to do a lot of things really, really well to make up for just the lack of size he has playing at a position right now. Yeah. Having a 5'9, 5'10 corner, that was the norm when I was growing up. That was what you expected to see out there. It was pretty unusual that you'd see a 6'1, 6'2 guy actually playing corner. I remember, I think it was Oregon State had brandon browner and he was like a six three corner and it, this is 15 20 years ago and it was like oh my gosh that's crazy they're doing that now you look around college football you see that everywhere and, and someone like pleasant is the outlier so we'll, we'll see what his development looks like but i think there are to jared's point three or four guys that you feel really good about or you have confidence in um and it'll be just a case of kind of what develops around him and, and you hope that you won't have to rely on too many more players than that you hope that those guys stay healthy and and upright and that is a position where I'm knocking on wood here where there is typically, I would say, less less frequent injury, at least at those positions than at other spots. Mm -hmm. Do we think this group could be the second best unit defensively? Could they make a play for number one? Number one being defensive line? It just depends how good Kyrie Jackson is. Um, again, we haven't seen too much of him outside of the spring game. Uh, if he turns into a guy who can put up similar stats to Christian Gonzalez at, at his during his one year at Oregon, I think they could because I like Bridges. I like the other guys that they've added. But I think the defensive line is going to be the kind of the hero of this defense this year, or at least, honestly, they kind of have to be. But yeah. Um, I, I do think it's a very talented position. Uh, I think depending on what they what Oregon does with their safety room and who lines up where, that could secretly be like the second best unit. Just depends on personnel um, because I think the talent there is is certainly undeniable. Um, but we'll see. I think uh, linebacker has a long way to go, but uh, they could certainly be most improved because they were so damn bad last year. <laughs> no, only yeah. you know only goes up from here, I guess. 
you could you could make a case for a lot of these because there's so many unknowns too of just yeah. like talking through all this like we're we're kind of we think we know certain things like that sec on the secondary we think we certain know certain things at linebacker but a lot of this i think that's what you feel about the defense and, and why some of the comments from Bo and dan and tosh in the last week have been so encouraging because there's just a lot of question marks at a lot of spots and and right. i think we all we all think they're going to be better but again like we talked about earlier once you they have to get through that game in lubbock to really sort of prove things and shoot we might come out of that game going oh man is this is this going to be a 2019 caliber defense where they just shut everybody down and they're, they're you know one of the top units nationally or or is this going to be a group that more resembles the last couple of years where there are some some strengths but some pretty clear weaknesses and guess what we don't really know we just know Bo thinks they look better Thanks, dan, dan. dan dan was very uh <laughs> dan was very high on the defense we don't know uh specifically why but he thought they played really well in that second scrimmage um so i don't know yeah there's a lot of questions here i think just to, in terms of trying to assess where this is going i do think that the spring game was a more accurate representation of what the defense will look like That's like true. i know like oregon wasn't going to run the ball that often during the spring game because they don't want to have their their star running backs injured so they had to throw it a lot but um, I mean, you guys remember the offensive explosions in the first spring game with Kenny Dillingham. Like the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed through the air, and that was pretty obvious throughout the season that that's that's what happened. Like exactly. that was a carbon copy. That was you know it was a, basically a precursor to what was going to happen. I think that the defense during the spring game, if you can remember it, if not, go back watch the highlights. They were more physical. They were better in pass coverage. They had a better defensive line. I think that that's going to be more in line with what the team looks like this year. It's a shame that I can't give you like a real answer because I haven't seen anything this damn fall camp, but that's the best we can do. And then remember in the back of your head, like I did after the spring game, like all these guys in the field play for the same team and they added more talent during fall camp. So I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a, a steady improvement over what it was last season. But uh, again, I just wish that we could have seen more before the first game of the year. Do we want to talk special teams at all? Sure. sure. I mean, we only have to talk let's, about let's the punting competition. Where, where, right? Okay, where's that stand? Uh, I think Luke Dunn is the clear front runner. Um, I think Ross James Good is job, had a. Yeah, I think it's done. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I think Ross James has had a better fall than I anticipated, especially after last year where in his limited reps during a game, it wasn't necessarily uh, full of confidence. Um, but he's been better. He's been more consistent. I just think that Dunn has been slightly more consistent. There's still some issues in terms of just a general consistency throughout the unit, including Matthew Rigney, um, the Austin P transfer. Um, I think that the ceiling on Luke Dunn is is something. I think when he when he connects and he gets a good one, it's night and day difference. Like I think both James and Dunn can kick the ball very similar distances. Like a max from Luke and a max from James are around the same of like that sixty-two to sixty-six yard punt. The difference is Ross James is a stinger. It's a low line drive. It doesn't take a lot of time for the ball to get there. When when Dunn gets a hold of one, it's five second hang time. It gives the special teams unit an opportunity to get down the field. And I think that's the biggest difference between the two guys is that the ceiling is significantly higher on Luke. And I would give him the keys to the car. There have been some 
holy cow moments with him on punts this fall too, where it's just like, yeah, your point, like, oh, that thing is not only like 30 miles in the air, it feels like, but it's also going yeah. way past, you know, the midfield line downfield. So, um, yeah, it's what you expect to see from a good punter. That's the difference. Yeah. And the only concern here, this guy is done. This is his first time playing this sport in this in this continent against live rushes with a, with any regularity in atmospheres like this. So you do you will not, you might have more growing pains here. But to Jared's point, I think you've got to work through those. Like and, and Oregon has historically done a decent job of doing that. If you think about Camden Lewis, they were pretty patient with him. I know they ended up replacing him in the middle of his sophomore year, but they stuck mm-hmm. with him, and, and that paid dividends. I think you owe it to yourself to to do the same with Luke Dunn, who. Again, just in terms of some of the, the the caliber of punts you see at practice, it's, it's when he connects. To your point, yeah, it really that ball goes far. It's a big difference. It's yeah. good. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to this back-to-back episode of position previews and looking at where the Ducks stand leaving fall camp. Make sure to go to DuckTerritory.com. Take advantage of that seventy-five percent off promotion. Uh, less than $27 for an entire year. Of Sign coverage. up. Yeah, that's Get the biggest here. way to support the podcast and to ensure that we keep going and doing this free as often as we do. Um, we, we love doing this, but that's the easiest way to help us. So please check it out. You won't regret it. I, I, I speak for all three of us. We, I, all, all of us do a really good job. Uh, and I think all three of us bring different things to the table uh, from Jared's baseball coverage which was tremendous during spring spring season when they went to the pac championship game and won the, the tournament uh and through the, the playoffs eric and i do basketball coverage jared helps out with basketball coverage as well and then all three of us are all in on the football program um you won't find anyone else out there that covers the ducks that has three people full-time all covering basically every single media availability that football has um our, our coverage is unmatched so Go to DuckTerritory.com, cover that 75% off. That'd be great. Um, And until next week, when we kick off game week, we're almost there. You've been listening to the Duck Duck Territory's Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you there, folks. Peace.